Hello, and welcome back to the Two Button Crew podcast. I am your host, Glenn, and I am once again joined by my co-host, Nathaniel. It's a me, Chris Pratt. I mean, uh, Nathaniel. And special guest star, Scott Campbell of Two Button Crew. (laughs) All right. I'm happy to finally achieve special guest status. (laughs) Thank you. We are uh, are here to discuss uh, one of the possibly one of the biggest uh, Nintendo releases of uh, the past 10 years or so, because it's not a game. It's, it's a movie, the Super Mario Brothers movie, the, the, the new one, not, not the one from 1993. <laughs> and it's making millions and billions of dollars? Yes, and it's, it's quite successful. So we're here to, to give our thoughts on the movie. We've all seen it and uh, run through everything. We're, this is going to be a spoiler-filled review of it. So if you've not seen it and you want to go in unspoiled, uh, maybe put this in your you know on, on the shelf and listen to it later. And also, if, if you don't want any spoilers, don't play any Mario games ever. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that the Super Mario Bros. movie may, in fact, have some DNA in common with the video games? I think they took some inspiration. Oh, wow. Blasphemy. You know, I... That's not how you make a video game movie. <laughs> I agree. You're supposed to throw all of the source material out, and that appears to be what the critics thought about this or something. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good segue into our, our first topic of discussion is uh let, let's talk about mario's history with movies and his uh his previous cinematic uh endeavors so believe it or not the 1993 movie is not the first super mario brothers movie oh was there an animated one before that yes there was an animated movie it was released in theaters uh the great mission to rescue princess peach uh it was only released in japan you can watch it right. on youtube now i did a whole article uh, giving my thoughts on it already. So, um, have that was any, pretty good, uh, isn't it? Uh, it's okay. <laughs> it's definitely more accurate to the um, to the games than the um, than the nineteen ninety three film with Bob Hoskins. But um, it's it still takes some liberties. It's still like Mario and Luigi are grocers; they're not oh. plumbers, but yeah, no, it's um, and the other thing I ha- I take issue with is there's so, there's some moments of clear padding in it, and it's not a long movie to begin with. Like the Japanese, to my understanding, is they they have a very different um, idea of the what a, a theatrical release's length needs to be. So you can go in and watch something that's like sixty minutes and in Japan and not feel ripped off. Yeah. Huh. So Mario's got a pretty rough history. I haven't seen any of the old stuff really. A couple of the animated TV episodes, but it never really grabbed me. I was waiting more for something like this. Yeah, I also, uh, we had a couple of uh, the animated uh, TV series episodes recorded to VHS when I was little mm-hmm. that were followed up by that uh, that other Nintendo show where the guy's got a Super Nintendo controller strapped to his belly button. Um, oh, Captain N? But, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> And so I have these, like, very, very early childhood memories of that. Uh, but other than that, I didn't have uh, anything to do with any Mario movies or 
television up until being an adult and just like watching reviews of the original Mario 93 live action movie and being like, wow, uh, dodged a bullet there. Yeah, well, you know, so here's the thing is it is a horrible adaptation. It is absolutely has little to nothing to do with the games, but I actually really like I, I watched it um, the the week before I went to go see the movie, the the new one, and I still love it. I still think it's it's uh, it's a fun <laughs> it, it's a fun dumb popcorn flick if you if you want that. You're talking about ninety three right? Yeah, now? the ninety three one. Um, you, you must it, you, have a strong thick skin for bad CG. Actually, well, I should, okay, the, I, the CG was early. It was nineteen ninety three, but the there's a lot of practical effects. The practical effects in that are amazing. Like Yoshi is an actual animatronic being like. Um, uh, operated by like seven people. Oh wow! And <laughs> okay. I should point out. I mean, I just watched the Corridor Crew episode where they were reacting to '93 CG as well as the new Mario movie trailer, and they gave the '93 movie a lot of credit for kind of paving the way for modern uh, computer graphics. They were first to do a lot of things that became widely adopted. So yeah, it was the first that, movie to least. be uh, digitally edited. So yeah. what you're saying is that it was essentially the precursor to Jurassic Park as far as just, like, having, like, the really, truly amazing uh, uh, CG and... Well, and Jurassic Antrons. Park came out the same year, so it's not like the Jurassic Park was taking inspiration from it. I think Jurassic Park came out, like, a month or two later. Yeah. Mm. I was really mostly joking anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> So it's kind of amazing that Mario was such a household name with all of these blunders cinematically. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But um, like I said, uh, my, my review of the Super Mario Brothers uh, 1993 movie, it's, it's a fun, dumb popcorn flick in the, uh, in the vein of uh, Buckaroo Banzai. So if you like Buckaroo Banzai, I check it out. It's, it, it's... And who doesn't? Mm-hmm. It's I mean... a cult classic, to be sure. Yep. Uh, but so... As for this movie, though, I think the, like, it's been in production since what, like 2015, 2016? Mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. Yeah, they, they announced it shortly after they announced Super Nintendo World or Super Nintendo Land, I forget which. A, a little bit longer than Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, but the first major announcement we got uh, for this movie was the cast reveal in the Nintendo Direct. And boy, howdy, was that that fun. I mean, we have a... I think that was like one of the last Nintendo Directs we did a TBC Direct for. So we... Um, yeah. Nathaniel and I have already aired our thoughts. Scott, what was your thoughts on the cast reveal? Yeah, so I don't get too into voice actors. That's never been my thing. I think that uh, you pay anyone that much money, they can probably do a pretty good job. Um, didn't love the whole Chris Pratt reaction as far as from the Nintendo community. I think that we're very fickle with our idols in Hollywood as far as, oh, we love him in uh, Parks and Rec, but then he does something or says something, and now suddenly we hate him. I just don't get that uh, emotionally involved. So I think he's a funny guy with a funny voice, and in, of course it was going to be divisive on how much accent does he use how much accent does he not use uh with nintendo's stable of characters being largely silent heroes it's always interesting to see how an adaptation goes um 
So we'll get into how we thought everyone did. But as far as the cast reveal, um, I thought that Jack Black was an inspired choice for Bowser. And then some of the other people I didn't really even know. Like, you know, the, the know thing she- about Jack Black is when he was first revealed, I was actually really skeptical. But that's because most of the time when I think of Jack Black, I think of like Poe where he has kind of a higher timber. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's kind of, you know, doing that nerdy geeking out thing. So I didn't realize that he, he actually could do some lower registers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I've been a huge uh, Jack Black fan ever since School of Rock and like, I don't know, I guess that was probably like 06 or something like that. And yeah, uh, yeah he's, he does a good job with a lot of different types of voices. So I, I, I knew he had it in him. I mostly know him from Nacho Libre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's also a good one. I also uh, think in the pre-release promotion, he was one of the only people that was really into it, and the rest of the cast interviews felt a little bit forced. Yeah, I like, know Chris Pratt with the the stomping Koopas line. Right. It, it, yeah. To me, that sounded like he he rolled out of bed and realized, ah, oh, shoot, I gotta record something uh, today. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I think the most interesting thing is that everybody was like, oh yeah, Charlie Day Lewis. That's uh, he he'd be perfect for Luigi, but Chris, you know, Mario should be you know Charles Martinet. It's an insult to Charles Martinet to take his character away from him or whatever. And it's like you know Charles Martinet plays Luigi too. So it's one of those things that I thought was kind of <laughs> kind of hypocritical, where it's like, oh, I really like it with th- that we're having this person play Luigi, but you know, it's Mario should be only played by. Uh, Charles Martinet. It's like, guys, you know, it's, that logic kind of, kind of swings both ways. I mean, I guess right. you can make an argument that Mario is what he's most known for, but yeah, but certainly too, like uh, Martinet's getting up there in years, and uh, there there had to be a point in time where they sort of passed the torch, and uh, if, and if I think we might have actually been there for for a while now, because as I mentioned in the um, uh, the Luigi's Mansion. Um, I guess it's just called Luigi's Mansion 3. I was trying to think of a subtitle. Yeah. But Luigi's Mansion 3, um, if you look at the voice cast, his name doesn't appear. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that maybe this had actually more to do with Martinet kind of stepping away from the role personally and being like, ah, you know, I'm 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 in retirement age for sure, guys. Like, you know, maybe I'll re- record a few voice lines here or there for you for you know like a like a hundred thousand uh, dollars. But <laughs> but you know, yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna be doing this for much longer. So you know, if you're gonna replace a beloved voice actor, then uh, you know you can just wait until he dies and then everyone goes, oh no, he's he's gone. Oh, oh no, what do we do? You know, or you can right. you know have a, a key moment in the the universe or the uh the uh franchise where a shift makes sense and for the first like official like real mario movie of the modern era to be the moment that that shifts it makes sense it really does yeah and if you think that you want to hear charles martinet speak in mario's voice full sentences and paragraphs search for a video on youtube where it's Mario giving a tour of the 3DS and its features and it's him doing the voice for a good two and a half minutes and it is exhausting. <laughs> it's yes. like yeah. oh, the 3D slider and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, if, if you know anything about voice acting and about doing 
accents and stuff like that to carry a accent like that for any reasonable amount of time is actually very difficult uh for it to stay consistent uh as well as yeah for people to actually want to listen to it (laughs) (laughs) yeah so after the the cast reveal there were uh Shortly thereafter, I don't think it was too long, they also revealed some trailers. You know, they had a teaser trailer and then they had a a longer trailer. So what were your thoughts on the trailers? I thought they were excellent. I saw a few of them in the theater and it was exciting. It even got my wife on board. She wanted to see it instantly from from the moment that it opened up with the ice kingdom and the adorable penguins and everything. They did a good job making it a broad appeal. Yeah, I certainly also saw that first trailer and and thought that it just really looked like it was going to be a lot of fun and that, yeah, it definitely had an all-ages kind of feel to it because the characters were cute and well well animated and you, and you could tell that, like, kids would enjoy it, but then, like, a couple of the jokes were not, like they were something that a child would giggle at, but, like, wouldn't fully understand, like, you know, this is but a taste of our fury. Do you yield? You know, that line, like, <laughs> that's really funny to an adult. It's it's maybe sort of funny to a child, but, like, to really understand understand that, you have to be a little older. So, yeah, there is definitely a, a level of that that was like, yeah, like, this is, seems to have broad appeal. And it that, that specific commercial got an entire group of friends to be like, hey guys, we are going to this movie uh, like within the first week that it comes out. We're all dressing up in costume. Like, let's yeah. do this. Like, <laughs> yep. One little nitpick in that trailer is, I don't think the line is that strong where Bowser just says, "I do not." I don't think that's yeah. a pointed enough sentence. Like that could have been like, "Never" or "Over my dead turtle shell" or something a little more creative. Yeah, certainly. Bowser in that moment doesn't really, he doesn't really play along, which I think it would have been more enjoyable for him to play along as opposed to kind of just have like a little half chuckle and then just be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I definitely like that first tra- teaser trailer. It's so, it was so surreal actually seeing all of these characters rendered in like the really high, um, high fidelity, high detailed style that you get in the 3D movies because the, uh, the characters in the games have very simplistic designs by comparison. There isn't a lot of visual clutter and you know that makes sense for a video game because you're running on limited hardware, you're having to render everything in real time and you also don't, I mean it depends on the style of the game but you don't want to um, overwhelm the player with too much visual noise. But yeah, it, it's just that that was what was mind blowing to me is just seeing the these characters kind of upscaled. Yeah. And, and actually, I think something that that is part of that that is like not necessarily noticeable, especially in the trailer. But like looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, obviously, like facial expressions. Right. Because that's the big mm-hmm. difference. We've seen these characters in 3D many times, but like their faces are usually fairly static Whereas they had very expressive faces where they're like, you know, their eyes are shifting and their eyebrows are going up and down and, and you know, you they're they're talking through their, their, their facial expressions as well. And that was completely different from anything we've seen these characters in before. 
Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when I first played Super Mario Odyssey because Mario was way more expressive in that game than he had been in any previous games. And you're, yeah, you're right. It is cool seeing that even more so here. Yeah. Yeah, and most of the time you're looking at the back of Mario's head, so they would have a smaller team working on those animations and apply less resources to it. But I do hope that uh, this movie has sort of raised the bar for uh, the Mario video games in the future. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So then after the teaser trailer, there was the the more... Um, there, there was the actual regular trailer, and that was the one with uh, the obstacle course and showing Luigi like running through the woods and all of that. Do you have any uh, any thoughts on that one? I actually I just missed remember with that one because I was like not as interested in seeing more stuff because I was so excited uh, from the first trailer that I was just like, no, I'm not. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, I think each one was just a little bit more reassurance. You would hear more of Mario's voice, and at least uh, for me, that was helpful to know that it was being handled well, and uh, you'd see. That more exciting things like carts and uh so it answered some questions but also raised more of if there's this in the movie what else is going to be in the movie yeah well for me it actually kind of had me a little bit concerned because a lot of that trailer is mario getting beat up and it's like oh are they gonna make mario like some sort of doofus especially since they made some of the other characters look pretty competent. It's like, uh, is this one of those things where like one of the writers said, I really want to make this character look good, so I'm just going to make Mario look bad to try... Okay, just pro tip for writing. Um, you don't make a character look good by having them be better than a character who's incompetent. Okay, yeah. You make a character look good by having them be better than a character who's their equal or superior than them in whatever capacity and they have to overcome that absolutely uh but i think i think part of what plays into this is it's a mario origin story so it follows that kind of popularized superhero format where we see them weak and getting beat up at first and we've never really had a mario origin story in any of the games i mean you could point at Mario's appearances in NES games where apparently he's on the Wrecking Crew or he's uh, refereeing a boxing match, but (laughs) we've never seen him uh, really turn into the hero that he is in the original Super Mario Bros. NES game. Yeah, absolutely. I I think when we get to talking about the characters, there will be some, some real conversations to have about how they made these characters. And the first time I watched the movie, I was a little unsure about how I felt about some of it, but as I watched it a second time, I started to, to realize uh, some of the actual kind of genius that is behind the way they wrote these characters, and so when we get there, I'll have things to say, but let's... Uh, yeah. yeah, unfortunately, I've only ever seen it once, so maybe, maybe you can help clarify some things for me, because I am a little hazy on some details. But... Um, okay, so let's talk about the, the just the overall presentation of this movie. Um... So, like, the, we've already talked about the visuals some, but is there anything more specific you want to do for the visuals? Like, one of the things I think is really interesting is just, like, seeing the texture of the clothing. I don't know why, but that was something that fascinated me. Like, Mario characters actually wearing cloth clothing that wrinkles and folds and stuff, and, like, Mario's shirt has buttons on it. Yeah, no, there was actually a lot of really cool stuff that, that showed up in here from having, like, 
higher quality visuals than what we've seen in games, including just like the spooky atmospheres were legit pretty spooky for a children's movie. Um, and the uh, yeah, like the characters were like more unique from each other in in a less caricature sort of way, which was cool. You know, like obviously in the games, because the models are, are only so detailed, it's like, well yeah, the main difference between Mario and Luigi is their height and their weight and then, you know, little tiny details, but like they were able to be separated more because of the more in-depth visuals and I just really appreciated it, you know, and seeing the characters from the different angles and stuff and, but it was, it was all handled uh, tastefully as well, which is cool. Mm. Do you have any, any thoughts specifically about the animation? Um, I think things were really fluid. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I really, really liked the fluidity of things. Um, there were a couple of moments where some of the facial expressions I thought were maybe slightly overdone, um, but all in all, I thought it was, it was, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I think overall the animation was good. One of the things I was worried about going in was I noticed in a lot of the trailer shots, um, in, in the original trailer, there's a lot of shots where Mario's just standing with a very neutral pose and kind of a blank expression. If you go back to that trailer, it looks kind of like the way the minions stand when they're not, um, emoting <laughs> to be honest. And it's like, Ooh, I'm not sure I like that, but no, I think overall the animation was smooth. It was fluid and um, and quite expressive. I have a feeling that Nintendo just kind of took a back seat in this department. We all know that Nintendo hasn't put a ton of effort into their graphics. It's not their main focus. So I have a feeling that they just gave well, I mean, you say that, but illumination. When, when you're, even if you have lower... Let's face it, Nintendo games still look good. There's a ton of effort that goes into that, those graphics. There's just not a ton of power behind the hardware for the graphics. But that just kind of, to make it look as good as it does, that kind of means that they actually have to put more effort into it. I would say yes and no. If you look at the new Super Series, I think they're okay, yeah, those no, graphics those, in. Those have, yeah, have this ugly, shiny, plasticky thing. I think it's hard to criticize this movie's visuals at all because of how great of a job that they did. Mm-hmm. It's always weird for me. I have to do a little bit of mental catch-up whenever there's a new render of Mario, whether that's on the cover of Mario and Rabbids 2 or whatever. It's like, wait, is that how he really works? And then I get used to it. And Yeah, like uh, the Mario Odyssey, when they started adding texture, like you can see the denim texture on his pants. I mean, mm-hmm. they kind of had that a little bit in Super Smash Brothers Melee, but Melee had a, a different art style, so it's just like, okay, yeah, that's what it looks like in Melee, but then when they actually added that to the main series, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is kind of weird. I think one of the things that you saw in Odyssey 2 that, that changed that you do see in these this Illumination animation is uh, his interacting with shading and lighting and stuff more on like his mm-hmm. skin. Like... Because, like, that's one thing is, like, Mario models didn't seem to change much based on their environment at any point before other than a little bit in Sunshine just because lighting was so important in that game. But, like, you know, seeing things actually sort of, like, reflect off of things and change the, like, hue of his skin and stuff in Odyssey I thought was really interesting. Uh, And you see that more in this, which pretty much any other 3D Mario time period, you, you wouldn't see any of that, like, at all. Overall, I, I think really the only thing that was a little bit weird for me in this is that 
Mario's proportions and stuff look a little bit different in like 3D American 3D animated feature style. Big head, right? Yeah, he has kind of a big head in this one. And to be fair, <laughs> Mario's proportions change a little bit in every iteration. Like if you look at the Super Mario Galaxy, his fists are kind of large. Um, it's one of those things where it's, you know, we think of it as very uniform, but it really not as much as you might think. It's interesting to grow up with a character and watch all these little tweaks over the years. That's that's enough rambling about the visuals. Let's talk about the music because, my gosh, the uh, the orchestral covers of the, the Mario themes here and how they can just, like, segue from one recognizable theme to another and just the how broadly they're, they're pulling from all of these different um, sources. Uh Honestly, it's amazing because you, you could make a drinking game and then die of alcohol poisoning um, halfway <laughs> through the movie with just trying to trying to catch all of the little musical references. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I and I said this to Glenn immediately after we finished watching. I, I said we can we can you know definitively say now that video games have better music than most movies because I think it's pretty objective. Uh, at the end that even even if you weren't a fan of the mario uh franchise the music in this movie was was great like just it just felt good it had it sounded good and it it fit the the themes well i didn't go into the theater expecting to hear any non-mario music so that took me aback yeah, and I, I've heard a lot of people, a lot of people criticize the inclusion of like "Take on Me" and stuff. Yeah, what do you think? So, yeah, the, if you actually look at the soundtrack, there is a song, an original song written for the scene in which they play "Take on Me." Yeah, like just based on the name, it's very clearly meant for that scene, and would oh. fit it pretty well. And honestly, there's a part of me where I would like to have the option to like when I get the DVD for this. To, it's like, do you want the the Hollywood messed up version of the <laughs> the soundtrack playing, or do you want like the the, the actual good Mario music? It, it, okay, so let me put it this way: I don't mind if they play real songs when Mario and Luigi are starting off in Brooklyn, because that kind of grounds those scenes. Right. But yeah, no. Um, the doing like Take on Me or whatever, and while they're in the Mushroom Kingdom, just feels weird and out of place. So I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I wasn't a big fan of that. Also, I'm just I'm just kind of tired of 80s pop culture references. And I know Mario is an <laughs> 80s pop culture reference, but still, there's just there's kind of a point where it's like we're so fascinated by, now by the 80s because people, I guess, people are nostalgic for it. it and also Hollywood's completely out of ideas. <laughs> well, speaking as somebody who is, you know, musically inclined and it's kind of kind of one of my my major things uh like i and who's a fan yeah, it's, of, it's actually of, a major part of your job now right exactly uh i i still enjoyed the 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 referencey sort of songs uh that were not mario references um you know even though yeah there is a little bit of that 80s nostalgia thing that's starting to get a little bit old uh there were some pretty good songs and i still really enjoyed them and i thought they were still used well uh, and, you know, if you're just a big fan of, like, older music in general, whether it be 80s or not, you probably enjoyed a lot of what was in, in the movie, even if it wasn't a Mario reference. So, um, but, yeah, I would have been perfectly fine with, like, an original song there or something, especially if it was, you know, a good song. <laughs> right. 
And I think the composers have demonstrated quite handily that they're capable of writing good songs. But uh, so speaking of, you know, we, we touched on this in the music section, but uh, the references. So, you know, if, if you would could give yourself alcohol poisoning uh, halfway through the movie, just counting the musical references, trying to count all the references, you'd, you'd be... You would own a liquor store. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Or the liquor store would own you because of your tab. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't feel like it was too much, though. I really didn't. Yeah, well, the thing is, most of them are in the in the background. So one of the things is a lot of the times when people do references, it's kind of jangling keys in front of your face. It's like, do you get, you know, it's like puns. What, I've said this many, many times before, but when you tell a pun, you need to just fire and forget. Like, it, it needs to be deadpan. You don't do the smarmy, um, cheesy grin where right. you're like, ah, uh, ah. Uh? You know, it, it's, it's one of those things where... Um, a reference should feel like a reward for people who are paying attention, not something that's uh, jammed down your throat by first going up through your nose. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Like, like whenever they're going down into the, the like, unknown area underneath Brooklyn mm-hmm. where they find the warp pipe, uh, and I pointed this one out to Glenn, there's there's a sign that says one level 1-2 just hanging oh, really? on one of the rails. And it, it's it's like dark. It's hard to see. It's only there for like two seconds, and it, it's it fits where it is. You know, it's in place because you know, of course, there are levels in here. You know, like it's it's just like a something you might see there. And so anybody who doesn't get the reference will just see it, and it will just be like a little bit of like environmental storytelling for them. And anyone who does get the reference is immediately just like, oh my goodness, yes, and then moves on. Yeah. Um, can you think of any references in the Smarmy variety in this movie? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the princess, your princess is in another castle. Yeah. Um, like, it, they they work that in with the guards being snippy and sarcastic towards Mario. So it's it does have a natural lead-in, but I think the build-up to it was just, it's like, okay, just say the line. just Just get it out of the way. Yeah, that's yeah, a good call. I think that is probably the worst one um, because even the the cadence and wording of the line doesn't really fit what they were trying to say. You know, like like yeah, you, mm-hmm. you see how they were trying to get there with it, and you give them a pass because it's a reference, but it, it, it's not his princess, right? So it's it's confusing. Like, well, did <laughs> they did they say your princess is in another castle, or did they say our princess is in another castle? Because that's actually an important point of distinction is that. The your princess is in that that's not the line. The original line is our princess is in another castle. Oh, I, don't I know. They... think it's in. I think it's your princess, but I I can't remember for sure. I would have to have to look it up. I remember feeling like the the wording of it didn't really feel right because it's Mario, not who's asking. Um, and so that that's why I want to say that they said your princess is in another castle, but I could be completely wrong. Another one that's a little jarring was seeing Mario playing the NES, and it was Kid Icarus. He's playing Kid Icarus <laughs> in their version of Brooklyn. And, yeah, I mean, I was sitting there wondering, how is it this game? If anything, uh, extra Mario, I would have expected they show Legend of Zelda or something. I think, though, that that just fits into, like, Nintendo's, like, going all the way back to the original Pokemon and... 
Earthbound and stuff. Like, Nintendo has always loved just featuring Nintendo games and consoles in their stuff, so I was okay with it. Yeah, honestly, it, it is a real treat. There there were a lot of moments where Nathaniel and I just, much like with the Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, the first one, not quite so much, but with Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I was giggling like an idiot at random points in that movie because of the references, and Nathaniel and I were basically having the same reaction when we went to see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, can we each pick a favorite? Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I have one, but you're free to. I think my favorite reference would be the blue shell. That one actually kind of snuck up on me, even though Mario is having this back and forth conflict on Rainbow Road with a blue Koopa. Okay, so I, I will say, I think that was a clever reference, but I don't like the fact that he yells blue shell at one point. That's yeah. another key jangler. Apparently, I needed it to make the connection. <laughs> I think actually, yes, uh, that is one of the best ones, and here's why. Upon my second viewing of the movie, that character is in the whole movie. He is on the side of m almost any scene featuring Bowser and his Koopas. <laughs> he is standing there. And so, like, now going back through, you go, oh, this guy is like one of his one of bowser's lieutenants this is why like they've specifically focused in on this character in this moment where like why is he suddenly like a rival for mario what's going on it's because mm. they wanted to make the blue shell reference they wanted him to do this and he's actually a recurring villain who just isn't really given much backstory which is okay actually i will grant kind you it is they did a good job setting it up but i still think the the in moment execution of having him like spell it out for you instead of you like people stopping and going wait a second <laughs> <laughs> i see what you did there yeah I, I i prefer the i see what you did there thing than the i you told me what you did there <laughs> yeah show don't tell so nathaniel is that your favorite as well oh i'm trying to think of some of the there's it like we said it's just kind of a reference fest so it's it's really difficult to think of just one good moment that is a reference um i mean almost the the, the multiple times where charles martinet uh talks was very fun um yeah oh actually that probably brings up my favorite reference is it okay if i interject yeah that's that's perfectly fine so mario's family with the exception of his father who's played by charles martinet uh, Mario's family, all of the people doing the voices there were uh, voices on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Like, the Whoa. uncle is played by Danny Wells. I what? <laughs> wow. Oh, that was one of the references that I totally forgot about that is, like, legit awesome that I didn't see until afterwards and someone pulled it up. And it could be. I'm pretty sure it's accurate. Look at Mario's family. They are almost all characters from Zelda games. They are you can you can map them to Marin and or not Marin but uh you know the Malin, the Malin yeah. Malin and Ingo and and people like that. It's actually really awesome if you look it up. I I saw this somewhere referenced on the internet and I was like, "Whoa, wait. Whoa, oh my goodness, that works so well." Like like their facial hair fits, their personalities generally kind of fit. It it was it was impressive. Hmm. Yeah, if there I would have really liked at least one reference to the um to the original 1993 movie. 
Oh, yeah. um, and I don't think I, I saw one. There are things that are very similar to the 1993 movie, like with the the sewer scene and it flooding. Is that's, and I don't know. Maybe that's um, that was the reference. Is like it's meant to be evocative of the scene where Mario and Luigi have to fix a underground a pipe that was broken and is flooding an underground area. But yeah, no, it's. Um, I'm, I am a little disappointed that there wasn't at least one of those for weirdos like me who liked the, the 93 movie. Yeah, there should have been like a devolver gun in Bowser's lair or something. <laughs> that would have been funny. Or, uh, you know, someone going, ba-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you get to finish your thought, Nate? Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I think I think, I think I, I, yeah, reminding me of that whenever I saw the picture of that and was like, oh my goodness, that's the coolest thing ever. Uh, I, I think that actually is probably my my favorite reference because it's so low key, and I, I do think it's purposeful. Like looking back at it, like the facial hair and stuff like fits so well. It's like, oh, this has yes. to. And of course, uh, you know, those characters have always been loosely based off of Mario characters. So then to like flip that around and give it a a reference of itself in that in the movie is awesome. Yeah, something that I had to discover through one of those videos on YouTube afterwards uh, during the running scene through Brooklyn where Mario and Luigi are working together. Really, Mario's just helping Luigi. Apparently, there's like scaffolding and equipment laid out in the shape, like the imprint of World 1-1. So I think if I had noticed that in the theater, that probably would have been my favorite. Oh, that's super awesome. Yeah, I noticed, obviously, that it turns into a platformer right there, and I loved it, but a 2D platformer, but uh, that's yeah. that's actually super awesome that it's actually a specific reference. Yeah, so um, moving on from references, because, again, we could spend all day just trying to list all the references. Uh, let's talk about the characters, and let's start with the, the man himself, Mario. And something that, uh, if I may start off this section, something that Nathaniel mentioned is that there is a scene at the beginning where Mario is running through Brooklyn. They're trying to, to get to their first plumbing gig, having started their own business, and their, their truck breaks down, and Mario, has to, ha- Mario and Luigi have to run to the, uh, the house or the apartment flat. I'm not really sure what it is in New York, but um, they, they have to run there on foot. And Mario, one of the things is, you know, I was concerned that they were going to make Mario an incompetent doofus, and they actually show pretty early on, no, Mario has, he, he's athletic. Yeah, for the real world, he's amazing. Oh, yeah. For the human world, he's amazing. And the, the thing is, the opening scene not only establishes that Mario is athletic, and so he's kind of, you can see the man he's going to become. But I also like the fact that if you watch what he's doing, I mean, obviously he kind of has to because Luigi is carrying the bag and all that, but he's constantly going out of his way to make the path easier for Luigi. Right. So Luigi can keep up. Um, and which also does, it's a really great way of establishing his character because he really cares about Luigi. And so he's, you know, he's not asking Luigi to do all the crazy, dumb, dangerous stuff he's doing. But, you know, he's also willing to do that dumb, crazy, dangerous stuff. So they do a really good job early on establishing that he's really determined. He's very um, caring. And uh, I just, I I like that, um, I I like this depiction of Mario. 
Yeah, um, I really, really, really appreciated him. And like you said, you know, in, in some of the early stuff, it looked like maybe he was going to be kind of incompetent. And it was concerning that maybe we were going to have, like, like you say, one of those situations where they wanted one of the other characters to stand out, and so they were going to make him worse. But yeah, him establishing himself as a, a pretty impressive character right off uh, was really, really cool. Um, and then you get this vibe. What I've realized after my second viewing is that mm -hmm. Mario's character is not Mario. He is the player of the game. So oh. he has... He never gives up. He keeps trying over and over and over again until he figures out how to complete whatever goal he's trying to do. So, just like you as the player would maybe die a bunch on a level and also never giving up, he has multiple lives, um, just like you as a player would have to learn the level sometimes in order to actually get through because it's too hard for you when you're younger and you're like, you actually learn the placement of things and you move around it and stuff. You as the player are the one who doesn't give up and keeps trying so that you can actually win. And then his relationship with Luigi, who is player two, is that he's the younger brother that he's going to, like, take care of. He's going to love him. He's going to, to uh, like, have this, like, very loving, good relationship with him as his older brother is also more indicative, actually, of the player's because who gets controller number two and plays as number two is usually your younger brother, not right. not the older brother. And so uh, I think these are like some really interesting references that are baked into the characters and their the way they work, based entirely on who they are in as the player, not as the character themselves. And that's how they fleshed out the characters in order to make them work in a movie now where they have to have backstories and uh, personal relationships between each other and, and you know, like, actual, like, goals and, and things like that. And so, yeah, that's... I think it's really cool. I think Mario is actually incredibly well-written because of that. Very astute observations, Scott. Yep, that analysis blows my mind. That's worth the price of admission this podcast alone so thank you <laughs> uh, no yeah i mean i was i felt that a little bit with the brooklyn uh platforming scene i'm like this reminds me of playing a co-op mario game where i'm kind of paving the way for whoever i'm playing with but um yeah i love all of that nuance that's good yeah um so Switching from his characterization in the movie to uh, the performance, what do you think of the uh, the performance for Mario by Chris Pratt? Was Chris Pratt ill-suited for the role, as everyone uh, suspected he would be, or does he actually do a good job? I think it's pretty good. I think it could have been a couple dozen people to play that kind of everyman role, but uh, I, I wouldn't want to split hairs over it. I really enjoyed the voice. Um, I I think he did a good job of it. Um, you know, kind of riffing on the like over the top accent for just a minute at the beginning of the movie to give you a feel of like this is what it would be like if he did it the whole time, guys. Like, do you really want that? <laughs> um, and then him slipping into something that sounds like more the way people tend to actually talk in the real world. Not that no one has an accent that's similar to Mario's, but you know, it's few and far between. Um, and those people are not usually like 
English speakers as their first language, and so you know it's kind of kind of difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he did. I did. I think he did a fine job. I don't think it was a, a, an amazing performance, but um, it never took me out of it. Well, okay, there was one moment where I stopped. And I went, oh, he's doing a Brooklyn accent, and that's kind of I think the only major complaint I have is that sometimes it's he's sort of like slipping in and out of the accent. Other than that, yeah, no, I think uh, I think Chris Pratt actually did a pretty good job of doing Mario. It's not just Chris Pratt doing Chris Pratt, but uh, you know, it could have been maybe a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah, I it's, certainly it's, prefer Chris Pratt's Mario to Seth Rogen's Donkey Kong. Not that I have a mm. huge issue with Seth Rogen's Donkey Kong, but the fact that Seth didn't even try to do a voice whereas chris clearly tried to do something that would make people a little more comfortable mm-hmm. was you know kind of off-putting yeah you know it is interesting chris at one point did say that he was talking with the he he talked with the director on uh you know a couple different and tried a couple different accents so i do have to wonder how much of this is like chris not sounding like mario was um, Mr. Pratt's decision and how much it, it was uh, voice direction. Right. We may, we may never know. Yeah, that's one of the things that a lot of people like to blame the actor and, you know, it's understandable. They're the one actually doing the performance, but I think one of the things we forget is that some, you know, some people can work really well with poor, with little direction, but some people need a lot of direction and sometimes, you know, the direction you're given is um, not... Uh, doesn't really align with what you think the character should sound like, and sometimes you just have situations like that. Not saying that that's what happened. I'm just saying that, um, you know, it's voice acting is much more, comp- like most jobs, voice acting is a lot more complicated than um, I think most people give it credit for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when, when somebody comes to you as a voice actor and says, I want you to do this voice, they know... That they, what they want to feel from that voice, but they don't know how what voice that they need you to do to make them feel that, and they have this very nebulous idea of what a voice should sound like in their head, and they're really like, yeah, sound like this, and you're like, uh, but you can't explain to me what a voice sounds like exactly, so the best they can do is, <laughs> have you ever heard this character? Can you do something kind of like that, but not him? And it's it's very frustrating. And yeah, as a as a voice actor, you end up like coming up with a voice in your head, and of course, it's also just a nebulous idea. And then you're like trying to inch closer together with the director or the client to get to the voice that they actually wanted in the first place. And sometimes I've had it where I did a voice, and it just they were like, "Oh, that's nothing like what I thought I wanted, but it was perfect. Please do that for the other character too." Like, yeah. And so it's just one of those things. It's it's way more difficult, like you say, than people actually give it credit for just on, on the the level of of when someone says, Oh no, we need Chris Pratt to do a Mario voice, they don't even know what they mean when they say that. <laughs> so let's move on to uh to Luigi and um he's not really he doesn't really show up in this movie a whole lot. He he's just kinda there at the beginning then you see a little bit of him throughout and then he's there at the end yeah his parts were enjoyable they were also some of the darkest honestly kind of boundary pushing for a kids movie Certainly. sections and uh, well maybe a modern kids movie back in the 80s whew, kids movies could yeah. get dark yeah <laughs> 
And I think it's curious that they put him in a spooky house and didn't make a Luigi's Mansion movie out of it. So if they do, is he going to be returning to that place? Like, it's interesting that they... I think that was a castle, not not a house. Well... Sure, but did he forget something there? Is he going to have to go back <laughs> and grab his phone or something? Nathaniel, any thoughts on Luigi? It was uh, like some of the more interesting sections of the movie that were not like like just kind of formulaic were parts with Luigi that like always threw me off. You know, like the the little star, the Luma, that was constantly, like, just a nihilist and talking about the sweet embrace of death. A gleeful um, nihilist, no less. Yes. Uh, so that that was interesting. Um, again, I have to fall back on my, on my weird interpretation of these characters. Like, if you ever played uh, Mario 1, you know, the original Super Mario Bros. game with somebody who could beat the whole game in one life then you never got to play and you were just in in prison the entire game as you sat there and watched them play the game without you uh and this is like an actual experience that my family has had with with a group of friends who who had an original nintendo and it was the only game they had and so if you played with them they would let you go first and then you die on you know the third level and then you would never get to play again uh (laughs) so it is weirdly kind of indicative of that that one is probably not purposeful as far as like this idea of like the characterizations of the characters being kind of connected to to the experience of the players that play those characters uh but i still think that's an interesting thing and uh yeah i would have loved to have seen more luigi because i got the feeling from him that i really like this characterization of him in the little bits that we saw him he seemed to be an incredibly kind person and just an enjoyable person to be around and I, I i missed out on getting to be around him more because i liked him a lot yeah that's that's my final take on luigi is i would have liked more luigi but um i do think it was actually pretty clever having him be the one that needed to be rescued as opposed to peach because it gets mario invested in the conflict much more organically because it's you know mario shows up and it isn't just like i'm gonna save the princess it's like hey look i need to find my brother do you know where he is yeah i totally agree although i think it had a side effect transitioning into peach i was a bit disappointed with her because she wasn't in need she Mm -hmm. was a super strong character basically a mix of bo peep from toy story 4 importantly and elsa as far as her powers um (laughs) and there's something commendable to be said for making stronger women in Mm -hmm. movies these days but my goodness females still need character arcs okay i'm uh, i would i've spent the whole like last two weeks rehearsing how to say that so i didn't uh like just so that I could say that clearly and not sound yeah. like I was just being some grumpy grognard fanboy. I'm glad I'm not the only one who's like, she didn't have a character arc, guys. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I, I guess this is where we shift and go ahead and talking about Peach then. Um, mm-hmm. I I felt that she didn't have a character arc and I would have liked it. You know, the like subtle references to the fact that she was apparently brought here as a child and grew up here was really interesting and then never reapproached. Yeah, ever they again. just... 
it's just used to explain, yeah, this is how a human came to be the, the leader of the toads. It's it's not a plot yes. it, it's not really a plot point. It's more to just get people to, to you know, to explain it so that people aren't like, oh, uh, this is really weird, which is strange because they could have left out a mystery and then expanded on it in, the, in a potential sequel. Right, right. but and how does it... Go ahead. They even used the, the question of, oh, I guess she just came from the human world as a brief question, and then immediately it was just like, I mean, there's lots of galaxies pan, pan up to the sky. <laughs> uh, and so, like, they still... Even the one thing that they mentioned about that didn't get fulfilled at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but how does being the only human in an entire kingdom make you feel? How does it make you react when you finally see someone like Mario? Right. Apparently, mm-hmm. it just makes you poke him with a stick or something. But uh, well, I mean, and ask kinda... the question is like, okay, am I especially tall as a human? Because this guy's this guy's shorter <laughs> yeah. than me. Is this normal for humans? <laughs> yeah. So for Peach as a as a whole character, though, regardless of the fact that she didn't actually have a character arc, um, I I had a similar situation where I was sitting there like talking to myself, trying to figure out, uh, okay, what how is this character made, and what do I want to say about her and stuff? And there was something about her comparatively to some of the other, you know, there's this this whole. And, and, you know, I, I hate to get off into the weeds and, and, like, start some sort of controversy. But there's this whole girl boss syndrome that's currently mm-hmm. happening in television where female characters aren't allowed to have flaws. Um, and they're because they want. And them she's to be less interesting girls. as a character because of it. Right, exactly. And I don't think that, uh, like, that can always be the biggest problem. Yeah, well, and, and if you don't mind me interjecting, I, I do want to say some things that I do like about her. Yeah. Just so everyone, I like the fact that we get to see her be a leader and like strategize yes. and plan to, and, you know, go on diplomatic missions and stuff. It's actually really cool to see Peach, you know, you, you get a little bit of that in like the Mario and Luigi games, the, the okay. RPGs, but you never really, you kind of get the feeling that she's sort of like the, well, I guess now King of England, um, but right. you know she's she's sort of like the royal family of England. They're just sort of um, symbolic. Uh, but here, it's actually cool to see her do that. So I'm not against Peach, you know, getting to display, you know, getting to exert authority and stuff. Correct. Yeah, I, and actually, that's that's where I'm actually moving into actually what I liked mm-hmm. so much about the character is that I was like after I watched the movie twice, I thought to myself. I enjoy her a lot more than I do some of these other modern iterations of characters that are also don't have any character development. And I was trying to figure mm-hmm. out what it was, and I realized she's a sweet person. She's an encouraging yes. person. She cares about the people around her, and so even though she seems to be good at anything she does for the most part, she's actually, like, a person you would want to be like. And that yeah, you know, here's, had... here's the thing is, I, I kind of had the same thing is like when she said, oh, I, I got it on the first try. I, I was rolling my eyes and it's like, really? And then, you know, she tries to make Mario feel better. And there's this sweet little moment where it's like, you're just saying that to make me feel better. Is it working? Right. And that's a moment where in other movies, the female characters have been known to, like, dunk on the male character in that situation, and instead she took the moment to encourage and try to, like, help him grow as a person and and get better at things, and I thought that was really 
honestly cool because if I had a daughter, I would be like, yeah, you you should be like Princess Peach. Like she's great mm-hmm. at everything and she's a sweet person. Yeah, that's good. I did like how she handled the wedding scene. That was very cool. Some clever, creative ways that she got out of marrying Bowser. Yeah. I like how she lit the bomb, the king bomb, on fire. Yeah, the... I, I will say. So going back to her being a little bit of a Mary Sue, I did notice that the only time she took damage in the movie was because King Bomb exploded, and King Bomb only exploded because she lit the fuse. So the only mm. person that allowed to hurt Princess Peach is Princess Peach herself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes <laughs> and also like you know i i know i i don't want to beat a dead horse or yoshi i don't know um but <laughs> uh it does kind of undercut sort of like they keep telling us bowser's this big threat and then peach never really she she never has any difficulty winning a fight so once she's like squaring off against bowser's like is this guy really a threat <laughs> yeah i think he is but i think peach is his weakness i think that's why he can stroll into the ice kingdom and totally decimate them uh but okay i, I guess when you put it that way it, it kind of makes sense it's just it, i i after a while I, was, I felt like i was being told something and not shown it yeah, but gotcha. I mean, when you think about that first moment when he goes in the Ice Kingdom, he destroys their entire castle with one fire breath. And yes, it's made of ice, but like he clearly shows in other scenes that his fire breath is, is capable of destroying things. So there is like this question of like, yeah, if he wanted to just stroll into Mushroom Kingdom and just torch the whole city from the sky, he totally could. And so, yeah, I, I think even though they don't really come out and say it, uh, Scott's got something there where Peach is his weakness, and that's why he doesn't seem to be competent in the final scenes with her specifically, uh, which I think they could have done better at showing that, where perhaps he's, you know, picking up ba- uh, picking up toads and throwing them around and crushing stuff and things like that, and he's about to hit Peach, and then he, like... It like goes into his his uh you know peaches 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 peaches. <laughs> that uh, actually would have been thing. funny. He, like he's he's about to hit her, <laughs> and you can kind of see her wide eyed, and like there's like the uh, as some people call them uh, bishy bishonen spark sparkles or whatever. Yes. <laughs> or bit, I guess it would be a bishojo in this case because it's we're talking about peaches a girl, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have no yeah, idea I, what language you're speaking, Glenn. It's Japanese. I think a moment like that could have been enjoyable and could have helped with, with making it uh, feel a little bit uh, more like grounded in the actual story that they were telling. But I think it's still still there. It's just kind of kind of lost yeah. in the in the shuffle to some extent. We are when now it comes talking to... about Bowser. When it comes to Peach's <laughs> and Bowser's relationship, I think they did a really brilliant adaptation of the video game source material because mm-hmm. in all these games bowser is capturing peach and we don't really know why apparently he likes her he's a okay turtle. thank you for She's pointing a- that out because so many people are like well it's not a spoiler that bowser has a crush on peach because that's you know that's what it's always been about and it's like no it was only really first implied i mean i don't know maybe it's been a while since i played super mario rpg maybe there's some offhand comment there, but yeah. it's only really implied, uh, first implied in Super Mario Sunshine, where he wants Peach to like be the mother to his son, and then <laughs> yeah, it's the GameCube era where you get uh, that in the in Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, and then mm. you get it in uh, Super Mario uh, Sunshine. That's that's really where it shifted to that, where they're like finally explaining why is it that the giant 
a Godzilla turtle constantly kidnaps this human girl. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, I honestly, my interpretation is that after kidnapping her several times, he developed a crush on her. I don't think in the NES games or the Super Nintendo that he necessarily uh, was kidnapping her because he, he had feelings for her. I think that that's something that... Th- yeah. This is my own personal headcanon, but... Uh, well, reverse well, he... Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah, kind <laughs> of. fall in love with the person you kidnap. Like, <laughs> the kidnapping, falling in love yeah. with the kidnapper. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, if you you look at the... Um, we, we uh, you know what? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going on a tangent about Princess Peach's character. We've moved on from that, but... No, I think you have a point because he puts her in a cage. That's not really something you do with someone you like. But. Well, no, what I was going to say is that the few times we get to see the kidnapping from Peach's um, perspective is she's constantly trying to break out and stuff. Yeah. And actually pretty okay at it. Uh, so, you know, we see that in Paper Mario. We see that in Super Mario 3D Land. So I think um, I don't think Peach is as passive as people like to make her out to be. I think it's just the games are always told from Mario's perspective, so we don't we just aren't privy to that information. Yeah, great right. point. Yeah, and so I love. Go ahead. No, no, you go, Scott. Love what they did with Bowser. I mean, how do you adapt those kind of strange motivations and stuff? Just turn it all the way up to eleven. Make it crazy and so funny that it is believable. Uh, you're not wondering like the mechanics of this attraction. It's just hilarious to watch it unfold. Yeah, I, I thought it was it, it was really funny. I, I did. I do think that maybe the it's a little bit overplayed. I don't know. So uh, I think that one of the things I like about Bowser is his motivations aren't entirely one note. Like he is out to conquer. Here they're kind of like the conquest is more means to impressing Princess Peach. But I don't know. It's one of those things that you you can't get too complicated in a movie that has like what it a 80 something minute runtime yeah Yeah, and a huge cast too with lots of different characters and Mm -hmm. yeah i i think honestly uh him having that obsession with peach actually does uh like like weirdly once you start viewing it from that perspective of that's why he's not dangerous to princess peach it actually does make him a more imposing enemy because you're like, oh, well, the only reason why he hasn't just come and killed everyone is because he's a crazy person who's in love with her. And, uh, like, once once you get that, it starts to, like, actually make quite a bit of sense. And so, like, right at first when I was watching the movie, I was like, okay, this is nearly embarrassing. Like, why did they let Jack Black do this for just half a second? And then immediately it clicked. And I was just like... No, like, in the depictions that we have of Bowser actually being characterized, he is a psychopath with an <laughs> ego trip who is in love with Princess Peach, and that is his his main things. And with just a bunch of people just standing around him, yes men, just being like, oh, no, you're amazing, you're the best, you can kill anyone, you're clearly the most powerful. And he's like, yeah, I am, and also I love Princess Peach. And so once you get to that perspective, it's like, yeah, the only thing that Jack Black brought to the character that wasn't already there was that he plays the piano. Yeah, and <laughs> I guess when you put it that way, it does make the the I, you're you're giving me a, a more in depth appreciation of that this depiction of the character. It's interesting that adaptations always take the approach of making Bowser like Peach, even though it's as we've stated, it's um, something that's only really even been hinted at in the last twenty years in the game. Well, I mean, Mario Odyssey is pretty overt. 
Well, yeah, so. Mario Odyssey is pretty overt, but like I said, it's well, and they are incorporating a lot of stuff from all of Mario. That's that's another thing is that they're not just focusing on one area; they're trying to blend all of it in. Yeah, which was I nice. loved. They did a great job with all his henchmen too, from Kamek to the whatever those guys are called. Love that part. <laughs> oh, and the the piano saying Ludwig von Koopa, so it has like an actual <laughs> reference to the Koopalings. I thought that was awesome. Uh, yes. I didn't catch that. Yeah. So, are there any other characters that you guys especially enjoyed? Um, I enjoyed uh, Toad uh, quite a bit, um, just as like an enjoyable like uh, comedy relief character. Uh, his little little uh, like attempts at being brave and stuff like that were always pretty enjoyable yeah it's um, a little weird how quickly he kind of latches onto mario but yeah absolutely but uh and then my other thing was i i actually didn't like cranky kong very much but okay. i did like dk quite a bit considering it was seth rogan um i didn't think i was gonna like him at all but like his character did actually have like a pretty good uh, like story behind him of like he's not just the bad guy from the original Donkey Kong game he's more than that you know and like he's always like it's like he is upset that he's always depicted as this big dumb ape in all of the games he is in mm-hmm. whereas Mario gets to be depicted as a normal person when he's not just a big guy that smashes things he's got a he's got a personality he's oh and you know, also he, him him being desperate to to get his dad to approve of him kind of makes sense given their DK's and Cranky's relationship in the games though I forget is Cranky Kong Donkey Kong's grandfather in the games not in the movie in the movie he's his father but in the so games, yes Technically, he is his grandson up until Donkey Kong 64, and it gets retconned. Okay. Because Donkey Kong Jr. was supposed to be Donkey Kong's father up until DK64, where Cranky is introduced as his grandfather. Clear as mud. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know why, but I actually liked the inclusion of Foreman Spike. Yes. <laughs> is the Wrecking Crew, is that, uh, was that one of the Game & Watch... Uh, no, no, it's a, it's an NES, and I think it may have been an arcade game prior to that, okay. but it's an NES game. I knew it was a reference to the Wrecking Crew game, but I never have seen anything of Wrecking Crew, so I actually did not have any. Uh, that's where Eggplant Man comes from. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's not that good. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, the game where Eggplant Man's come from. Oh, that one! <laughs> Let's move on to more general writing stuff. Uh, let's talk about the setting. So this, uh, the Mario movie is an isekai. What? Or yes. <laughs> or as I prefer, the, I prefer the term when I'm not talking about um, anime. anime. Uh, the uh, term portal fantasy. So it starts off in Brooklyn. It starts off in our world, and we know it's our world because the twin towers aren't there. Sorry, that was the thing on Twitter. Um, people are like, 9-11 canonically happens in the Super Mario Brothers, uh, world of the Super oh Mario gosh. Brothers movie. And it's like, or they just never built those towers in the first place. Did you think of that? No, they got demolished when the, the worlds fused and it, it became Koopa Tower. And yeah. no one gets that reference. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's set. I always find it interesting that this seems to be a persistent thing. Even in the um, Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach, that they, the Mushroom Kingdom has to be like a separate world and Mario and Luigi are from our world, ostensibly. What do you guys think of that? I think it's an attempt to make things make sense. 
Yeah. Because Mario has always been, even though he's a caricature kind of person, he clearly comes from a more normal person world because he's a plumber and a construction worker and he's Italian, like canonically he's Italian, mm-hmm. and he's not a mushroom person or a turtle. And so <laughs> it's there's just kind of this thing where he always has a fish out of water sort of vibe. Like even in like the Paper Mario games where it's clear that he is a part of that world. Like he's off in his own little house by himself and just him and Luigi. And then you like you're interacting with all of these other people and like none of them are humans like Mario except for Peach. Yeah, I just now realized that Mario does always is always depicted as living kinda out on the edge of town i guess he's into the the what is it called cabin core aesthetic yeah or maybe he's like big into bushcraft or something like that I yeah don't know. <laughs> mario's secretly a doomsday prepper yeah <laughs> i like how they did this i mean it's definitely in service of keeping things open for as many movies or spinoffs as they want to do in any galaxy but I like the approach of where Mario comes from, being separate from the Mushroom Kingdom. I like it a lot better than the new Donk City thing. I, I hate that contrast of <laughs> human that. sizes. Yeah. <sighs> Seeing Mario as a little goblin next to an actual sized person. Ugh. Yeah, it did seem to be an attempt to kind of make some sense of the idea of the like Mario Odyssey world where like there is like some real world stuff around but then they didn't they didn't go all the way with having the like normally proportioned people all around him like yes people are taller than him in that other in in the real world but they are not shaped like normal people which is kind of off-putting in in new dog city (laughs) yeah yeah um so one of the things i i i don't really think this is the place to insert it but one i don't know where to put it so i wanted to point it out there's something i realized after the fact well um after watching this movie is that i I thought you know it's kind of weird that mario and luigi like live with their parents you know well it's very ambiguous like what is their age Mm -hmm. they've got mustaches they've started a business they live at home and play video games as it just like a multi-generational family type thing. If well, and so, I think that's cool. it cuz really if you stop and think about it, you see they're always eating together dinner together as a family. So I think that it very subtly and I don't know if this was the intent, but it very subtly implies that yeah, they're poor. Like yeah, Mario's father I, uh, chastises yeah. him for for giving up a well-paying job. They all you, you have like uh, grandparents and uncles and all that all living under the same roof it kind of gives the impression that yeah these guys are um maybe maybe not in the best shape financially yep. yeah absolutely and i i think it is actually kind of in a like a a vaguely italian concept you know the whole like family style like sort mm-hmm. of thing of like family is close and important in italian uh background families uh and also to your to your credit on pointing out that they might just be poor uh mushrooms are oftentimes uh used as like a meat substitute uh because they actually do have like a reasonable amount of vitamins and protein and stuff in Mm -hmm. them comparatively to a lot of other like vegetable adjacent foods yeah and and they they have a that really savory meaty flavor as well 
Exactly. So you could actually see that maybe part of the reason he doesn't like mushrooms so much in the movie is that his family always buys mushrooms and cooks them into the food as like an attempt to like, you know, not have to buy meat because they're poor. You know? Yeah, he's so, just sick of them. Right. Just sick of it. Like like many families uh, or many kids who come from a family where like they only ate beans growing up, beans and cornbread or something. You either grow up and beans and cornbread is the only thing you want to eat because that's what you ate all the time. Or you're like, oh, I'll never eat beans ever again because it's all we ate. You know, like that's those are the two ways. Beans and cornbread. Can you tell we're from the South? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's some really good headcanon. I like it. But yeah, so and. Moving on to the Mushroom Kingdom, any thoughts about the depiction of the the Mushroom World? Probably my favorite depiction of the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, I think so too. Like, you know, you don't... There are some places in some Mario games where you see giant mushrooms just kind of hanging out, and there's the platforms that you're using to jump around. But, like, I don't know. I, I never once considered that that was, like, a mushroom forest that you were, like jumping around on top of from from mushroom to mushroom they it's in my brain it was just this is the mushroom kingdom everything's mushroom themed so i thought it was cool it like really really like opened up my perception of what what maybe the stories they're trying to tell through the world in mario games is right. yeah i'd love to play an open world mario game in a mushroom kingdom like that with the gameplay of bowser's fury but uh yeah that'd be awesome yeah so let's move on to the the actual plot itself. Um, so I'm all right. What's try... the next section? Huh? <laughs> we covered it. I'm going to run through it very briefly, <laughs> and then we can talk about it more in depth. Story is Martin Luigi start out in Brooklyn. Uh, they're just tr- they've just started their own plumbing business, and they're having uh, trouble, as many people do when they start a business, trouble getting customers. And so they try to prove themselves when there's a water main that breaks in uh, Brooklyn and it's flooding the streets, they try to go in and fix it and through a sequence of events end up falling into a warp pipe that leads to the Mushroom Kingdom. They get separated and Mario has to ask uh, Princess Peach for help to save his brother from Bowser. And um, there's there's a whole um, bit where they have to recruit the Kongs to try to help them fight Bowser. And it, of course, ends with... Uh, Bowser trying to marry Peach and then uh, Mario having to come in and save the day and stop Bowser and rescue his brother Luigi. Were there any parts of the story that stood out to you guys as particularly worthy of discussion? Um, so I obviously picked up on the fact, I think it's fair to call it a fact, that the plot was in the back seat to, you know, just getting the characters where they needed to go to be in these fancy backgrounds with the awesome music playing and, and uh, all that. Um, so I'm fine with that. It was a, a little bit less thin than a Mario games plot. So yeah, um, what I didn't love was the parental arc. Mario's parents, Mario's dad was finally proud of him once he saved the day and made news and uh, did something really heroic. Uh, but I think what would have been more moving is if the dad realizes, wow, you did all of this for your brother. Like, you really do have 
your priorities right. You've got our family first and foremost. Like, man, you are an awesome son and brother. I think that would have been uh, a lot more resonant. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree with that. Yeah, the uh, the general plot of the movie, I think, is about all you could you can expect from a uh, game series that essentially nine times out of ten doesn't have a story um and to still like kind of pay homage to the story that is there to string together what it what is essentially the first movie in a in a universe is the way you can you, you can see it you know you can see how they're they're trying to put all these players in the same world together and then even the whole warp pipe situation uh you know why can't some of those warp pipes go to you know uh metroid universe or zelda universe or something you know there's there's a whole idea there so it's really is just feeling feels a lot like it's a very loose plot that just pulls the characters through the story that you expect them to go through because they're mario characters while still giving you like at least some sort of background of okay why is this character here why what is he doing um and then yeah i i think that um now that you mentioned it scott like that is an excellent point um that the the father's opinion of him only changing whenever he is a success is kind of sad uh and then yeah and yeah. it's weird that's a like a really common like the the whole trying to make your father proud thing that seems really common in animated movies <laughs> yeah absolutely um it makes me wonder I, about like the psychology of the average screenwriter <laughs> yeah the screenwriters must all have daddy issues that's the only thing yes. i can think of but um yeah, and and yeah, it would have been better if his dad uh, accepted that he is in fact a hardworking person that cares about his family and stuff, and that just because he wanted to do something different than what the dad expected him to did not make him a bad son, and that his his success does not equal love. Uh, like that's kind of a sad view of things. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I agree with you guys. So the the movie's plot is pretty um, pretty light, and honestly, I'm fine with that. I not every story has to be very avant garde or particularly um, particularly deep or anything. It is. I, I thought it's, it it was nice to just. It's like yeah, this is just a fun story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think they made a really really good Mario movie. Mm-hmm. Did they make a great movie maybe not yeah and that seems to be the opinion i hear a lot of people um giving online is that oh it's a wonderful mario movie but as like a movie in its own right and not not so much well but i think that it's okay to have character driven movies without that don't have to necessarily be plot driven movies and Uh so i still think this movie ends up in my top 50 movies of all time for sure like not just video game movies video game movies is my number one probably at this point but uh for for actual just movies in general i actually really appreciated the general message and the jokes and the action and stuff enough that even though it is lacking in plot they still made a good movie i think uh, because there are plenty of movies out there that have no plot that are great because they are just like lots of action or something. And yeah, they might not be, you know, Schindler's List or anything like that. But but just the fact that they don't have like an amazing like overarching plot for like 
piecing everything together doesn't necessarily disqualify it from being a good movie in my opinion yeah yeah i i definitely and it's you know it's a mario story and um i think they did a very good job of telling a mario movie story um i think definitely they should try to do a little bit more if they get a sequel and i would be surprised if there isn't a sequel at some point but Oh, there was one thing as well, and this is uh, honestly mm-hmm. jumping way back in, into our uh, discussion of characters, but uh, one thing that I did truly appreciate it, and this goes in kind of the character plot-driven, uh, character-driven story as opposed to plot-driven, is that Mario's character being incredibly good at specifically plumbing, like mm-hmm. to a, a scary, inhuman degree, I thought was really a, a cool, interesting thing. That allowed him to not necessarily succeed at other things, but used to still like really respect him because like the way he just can apparently fix any plumbing problem instantly and knows exactly what he's doing, I thought was cool. And you know, I obviously used it to drive the story forward in multiple cases. Uh, and even though it then had to take a backseat to him learning his new skills in the Mushroom Kingdom, it was still uh, like very cool to use that as as something of like yeah he's a plumber and they're always saying he's a plumber but other than going through pipes like is he a plumber (laughs) uh now they're like yeah he's absolutely an amazing plumber it's just like how much plumbing you need to do in the mushroom kingdom right guys (laughs) (laughs) do we want to talk about humor humor in this Um, movie was a plus it was hilarious i loved it i think it was a mixture of laugh out loud chuckle and a couple of eye rolls yeah, uh, it, it was better than I was expecting because, you know, this is the same studio that made The Minions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those movies, I mean, I haven't seen most of Illumination's movies, but most of them look pretty grating um, in terms of, like, the, the jokes and stuff. And I was I was really surprised to see that, no, the, the humor in this actually was pretty well written. Um, there were some, some good laugh-at-loud lo- moments. And uh, I am really glad that they didn't do a bunch of, like, burping and uh farting jokes yeah yeah absolutely no every time they cut to uh the characters in prison and the luma being like a a a happy nihilist and the other characters being like please make him stop and stuff (laughs) was so funny and really enjoyable and it was not like toilet humor or anything like that it was really well done and a lot of uh, Bowser's interactions with characters were really funny, uh, e- like even of by their own merit, even outside of them being like sometimes just Mario references and stuff. Like there was there was good stuff. I I loved it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's a different version of this movie, a Japanese version, which is not a simple dub, but they. Uh, I mean, it makes sense if you think about it. Some of the setups, a lot of the humor, certainly wouldn't work cross language Mm -hmm. so i think that there was some real work done on making a separate version that came out a few weeks later in japan Um, unfortunately i haven't gotten to look into it much i just put a video in my save later that game explain made apparently andre went to japan to watch it and has a whole analysis of the differences but i was kind of surprised to to hear that exists this yeah, is the first time um, I've heard it existed. That's really, really I, I super I first heard about it yesterday, and I am very curious to see it. Um, and I, I presume that it's entirely in Japanese, the language. There isn't going to be like an English dub of this version of the film, is there? I don't think so. Hmm. They went all out. So that's, that's cool. cool. Yeah, if I have to watch the sub at some point, or learn Japanese. Yeah. 
yeah. one of the two. If you uh, don't play Mario, if you don't play Mario in the original Japanese, you're missing the, the true experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I everyone's complaining about Charles Martinet coming back, but what about uh, here? Let me Google really quick who that. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> well, okay. For the record, Charles Martinet plays Mario in all regions. I thought he probably did. <laughs> I want to buy this movie on Blu-ray and play it in my PS5 just to have something Mario running on a on a Sony video game console. <laughs> That's an excellent idea. All right. So, what are what are our final thoughts on uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie? I think that it has set a new bar for video game movies. Not that it uh, in every way was the very best uh, video game movie ever, but the fact that they essentially just said, no, you know what? I want to make a movie that is for the fans of the actual game that this is riffing on, not just, uh, you know, take a bunch of the names and think that they'll show up at the theater anyway. And that's, that's really cool. Like... Um, you know, it kind of started with Sonic whenever they had the whole, uh, like, remake of the appearance of the character. Um, you know, it was clear before that they didn't care much about Sonic looking like Sonic or being Sonic the Hedgehog in a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. And the fact that they redid the character and made him look like he was supposed to was a big deal. And then we had the Detective Pikachu movie, which was a clear, t- clear attempt at, uh, you know, making a... I, they were around the same time. I know. I, I know that. Uh, yeah, I think Detective Pikachu, Pikachu came, came first. First, actually, yeah. But but with yeah. Detective Pikachu, we had a situation where it was a little more set in the actual world that you expect it to be. Although, uh, since it's kind of set in the future and this weird like fusion of the real world and Pokemon, it still felt like they were trying to like cut corners and make it where it fit. Uh, this was the first one that I have seen in a very long time that they just said, no, we're just taking the real characters, we're putting them in a world together, we're having them interact, and yes, is there a little bit of like an origin story part where we have to figure out how you get Mario, who is a Italian plumber, into a world filled with mushroom people and, and, uh, giant talking apes and turtle dinosaurs, yeah, they had to do something for that. But other than that, it just seemed like the movie was for people who actually wanted to go and watch a Mario movie. And that is, you know, you'd think it would be easy to get there after 30 years of video games and movie <laughs> adaptations. But wow, they finally actually tried that. <laughs> yeah, um, and there's been a lot of adaptations here of late. I know Uncharted got a movie, but um, this... And that one was not terribly accurate. This is like the first time where accuracy would seem to be first and foremost in the minds of the people making the movie. Um, and yeah, I, I would say it's it was a treat. Um, it, it's one of those things where I'm not really sure if if you're not a fan of the games, I'm not really sure if there's a whole lot here for you. But I I enjoyed it quite a bit. It is easily my favorite uh, video game movie. Not to say that I've seen a ton of them, and not to say that they've all been all that good but yeah yeah i'm super happy with it uh it took my wife to see it she enjoyed it i think it's a great family movie i'm looking forward to owning it and having it be one of those that's just on repeat for my daughter as she grows up she'll probably love it so that's exciting uh yeah i'm happy for everyone happy that miyamoto finally had a success uh in his long career (laughs) Uh, so maybe he can re- retire pretty soon. Um, yeah, I think that 
the you know there's a conversation of like the critic response um but i have found that the critic response matters less and less and yeah i think part of part of the reason that they're whinging so much right now is that they're used to being the tastemakers and now they're not and they're just You know, they're, they're kind of upset that they're, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too into, like Nathaniel said, I don't want to get too controversial, but, you know, it kind of it kind of stinks when you realize more and more that your job's becoming irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and again, at the, at the risk of being a little more controversial, I think that uh, one of the things that Nintendo and Illumination did very well was they didn't have any sort of uh, agenda or, or, like, message they were trying to sell with this they just made mm-hmm. an entertaining movie for families and mm-hmm. i think that that was a huge part of why it's so successful with people who went to watch and why it wasn't as successful with some of the critics because some of the critics not all of them but some of them really do care more about the the message that's being sold with the movie as opposed to entertainment yeah yeah well, and the, from what I, I've heard is that we, we talked about Peach, um, the, that she avoided being uh, an annoying girl boss. And I've heard rumors, take this with a grain of salt, like something like pretzel salt, uh, you know, really, really coarse. But um, <laughs> I, I have heard that the, the original draft of the script had her much more in that capacity and Nintendo slapped it down. Yeah, I had heard that as well somewhere, and I don't remember where, so also take it from, it's possible that... that even I just heard Glenn mention it at some point. So <laughs> we might have the same source, and the source might be Glenn. So take that with a huge, huge grain of maybe even soft pretzel salt. But uh, yeah, but, but we're up yeah. to two little salts now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, soft pretzels are the only pretzels worth eating. Hmm. Uh, gluten-free hard pretzels are actually still really tasty. I've, I've actually okay. Had I, a... I should take that back. I like hard pretzels when they're like mixed in with other stuff but i i don't like them on their own yeah um, no okay. i didn't either and then whenever i became gluten intolerant and or i rather found out i was gluten intolerant, when you converted to gluten ones, intolerance <laughs> yeah they they are really delicious at, with the gluten-free ones and i shared huh. them with all of my friends who eat gluten and they're like whoa wait these are way better pretzels than i've ever had before so if the problem is the gluten just starting gluten-free pretzels you'll love them yeah. So that is the verdict, and my final thoughts is go gluten-free for the hard pretzels. It's worth it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so we, we all loved it. What's next? What movie do we want to see next? Because obviously Nintendo's going to be making more movies. They're like on the, on the road to like a billion dollars with this. I mean, obviously they're working on a sequel, probably some spinoffs. I'm sure all of the voice actors are contracted uh, to the ends of their lives. Um, I think the more interesting question for me is like, would I like to see other franchises from Nintendo adapted? And I hope they do explore some of that stuff. I think like an animated Star Fox Netflix series mm. could be really interesting. Um, you know, uh, Metroid, maybe not game, but maybe a VR cinematic experience could be really cool. Um, I, I hope that Nintendo is incentivized by all of this money to uh, to branch out beyond Mario as well. Yeah, I want to see very next. I want to see the Luigi's Mansions movie. 
Mm-hmm. I want them to give a full movie to Luigi and, uh, you know, introduce Egad and expand on the on the ghost characters from the first uh, Luigi mi- movie and, or Lu- Luigi's Mansion game and do that. And then from there, I want to start springboarding into uh, the spinoffs, into the uh, other characters from Nintendo Universes. Uh, I, yeah, a Metroid one would be super dope. Uh, although I think tonally it might be difficult to sell it the same way you sell a uh, Super yeah Mario that one movie. well first of all I don't think you could have Illumination do that one but Illumination is no. like owned by Universal or something I, I think Universal is like involved in this somehow so they could probably yeah. do a live action one. Oh yeah, yeah. It was, I mean it was really a symbiotic business relationship that involved the park and everything that was mm-hmm. tied up yep. in the production of this movie absolutely and then the other thing that i need to see because i heard this suggested on the internet and it's both the best way i can think of them doing this and a terrible idea is a zelda movie uh with link as the main character but he's a silent protagonist but it's a noir film and he's always just monologuing in his own head and so he's silent to everyone else but you still hear him thinking through things as he's going around (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness was that jada's idea from idea uh it might have been i th- i think i i can't couldn't remember which big publication i saw was like we need a noir zelda movie and i was like oh my yeah. goodness yes <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's the appropriate shout out okay there. so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna come up with the the out of the left field um option i guess but i think given the like the art style in this movie um and just sort of the tone of the scrappy underdog, uh, kind of climbing his way to the top or whatever. That's kind of an undercurrent in this this film. I think they can make a really good Punch Out movie. Oh yeah. Okay. Like, cool. can can you imagine like King Hippo and being like rendered in the Illumination style? Like, I think it would work pretty well. Like, you can make the characters a little bit cartoony. You can overemphasize some of the punches and stuff. I I think that there's a lot of potential here. And yeah, the really, sports story would be very compelling with this sort of really, um, dynamic. Really, that's the uh, Captain America first Avenger of this cinematic universe. You go back in time from the Mario movie <laughs> and you show Little Mac, and then it, it leads right up into the creation of the Punch-Out Cafe that Mario was in at the beginning of the movie. Yes. Um, they would be stepping into a racial minefield, though, so it would be interesting what... <laughs> characters I mean, they go with and how they depict them i know it's it's 2023 but they managed to do a pretty good job with uh the what what was it like 2009 2011 punch out game for the wii i think it was 11, the wii one yeah. yeah yeah that one um i i think that no people weren't really complaining too much about the the representation of the various nationalities in that uh game so i, okay. I think they could get away with it cool but all right. Well, um, with that, I think uh, we're done here. So thank you all for listening once again to the Two Button Crew uh, podcast. Uh, before we wrap up uh, completely, uh, Scott wanted to, to give some personal updates because it's been a while since we've heard from him. Yeah, I figure since it's been like over a year since I've been on the podcast, something like that. And if you've listened all the way to the end, I do have a couple exciting things. Um, I think I 
told you, Glenn, on the last show I was on that Reba was pregnant. So mm-hmm. we do have our daughter, Kinsley. She's uh, over a year old now. So that's amazing. I'm loving being a dad. She's awesome. Um, it is hard, but I think every day has been uh, fun and interesting and joyful in its own way. So she uh, she has just really enhanced life. I mean, it's awesome. I definitely recommend having kids. Uh, One of the last podcasts that we did was about backlogs and I did commit to tackling my backlog and I did take that very seriously. And at one point I got to backlog zero. So that was very exciting. Um, Beat everything that was on my list and held off on purchasing new games for a long time. Right now there's maybe three games that I've bought and want to play that took a little bit of a backseat as I wrote my second novel. So dedicated like an hour of every night to writing that and that's uh, finished. It's being edited right now. So my hope is I I still have to read the first one. (laughs) Yeah. So my hope is by the end of the year for gates of eternity by S G Campbell, that's me to, uh, to be available. Um, October is really my main goal. So yeah, there's that. Um, I've also gotten into video game collecting. So that was an aspect of my Nintendo fandom that I never really emphasized in the past. But now that I am at the spot where like there's a little bit more money and even less time. So I guess I might as well just buy things to put on a shelf and look at them. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I really focused on Metroid to begin with. I did this big Metroid collection where I bought back the games from my childhood that I would sold or traded or whatever. Um, my Holy Grail item for that collection was the Samus-themed 3DS XL, which, believe it or not, now goes for $650 in the box. Um, I got one off Facebook Marketplace, and the top screen is a little scratched, so one of my projects for this weekend is I got a different screen. I'm going to try to swap, swap out. It's not actually the 3D screen. It's like a, a layer over the top. They call it a lens so I'm going to try to pry that off and put a new one on. I'm, I've never been too handy with repairs, but I'm trying to get into like fixing up old Nintendo stuff. Nice. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's about it. I'm, and collecting is an expensive hobby, so I'm also like looking at yard sales and thrift stores and buying first-party Nintendo games, putting them up on eBay, and kind of funding it that way. So that's fun, too. Okay, well, thank you for listening. If you want to keep up to date on all the stuff that we do, you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. I do not bother posting to Twitter, (laughs) but maybe I should. Maybe that would help improve our views. Uh, You can subscribe to our channel on YouTube for uh, reviews and this podcast, or you can follow us on all the usual suspects for podcasting sites, if you prefer your podcasts in audio format. Um, Nathaniel, where can we find you? Oh, you can find me uh, on YouTube at Nathan Blake Games, uh, on Twitch at Nathan Blake Games, and on Twitter at Nathan Blake Game, no S. All right. You only, and... you only play one game on Twitter? Exactly, only one. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just it, it, there wasn't enough characters. It was sad. It was one character too many. Oh, <laughs> well, I want to wish everybody a, a happy time exploring Hyrule. So get oh, back Oh, yeah, Tears of the Kingdom and... is coming out, and uh, that yes. one will 
with the size of that game, don't expect that that podcast to come out <laughs> yeah. soon. But speaking of Zelda, thank you for the segue, Scott. If you like tabletop RPGs and The Legend of Zelda, you can check out my free adventure module for uh, the 1D4chan Legend of Zelda RPG expedition into the Hounow Woods. It is free, it is uh, help you get into this one of my favorite RPG systems of all time. Or you can just, you know, strip it for parts. I don't care. I just I just want somebody to read it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again for listening. And thank you, uh, Nathaniel and Scott, for coming on. It's been great talking to both of you. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. And I'll see you in the next one. Sayonara. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. Great job on putting this together. And glad we got to talk about a great Mario movie. Yep. All right. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Bye.